What is up and welcome back to Zen Business, the show that studies health and mindfulness habits that ultra high performers use to reach the top of their industry and their craft. I'm your host, Jonathan Maxim, Managing Director at K&J Growth Hackers and founder of five digital companies. We've grown these companies to great levels and created an exciting and fulfilling life for our team members, but the truth is it was much more challenging than we ever could have imagined. All right, now let's jump in. All right, what is up and welcome back to Zen Business. Happy Monday, I hope you're having an awesome week. It is another beautiful day here in sunny Los Angeles and I'm excited to talk to you about a very uh, personal and sensitive story that I think will resonate with a lot of people. You know, the more I do this podcast, the more I realize that vulnerability is the most powerful thing and it's just really important that we share honest experiences, right? Because Anyone who's an entrepreneur, anyone who's striving for big goals or maybe just a working professional who is trying to take it to the next level, they can't relate unless they understand, right? And I only relate to people who create that sense of empathy and vulnerability with me. So I've really leaned into becoming more vulnerable and telling more, I guess, gripping stories of my experience here because really that's what's going to empower you to take the kind of risks that you want to take, but maybe are scared to. So today what I'm going to talk about is why my co-founder wanted to break up with me when I did this one thing. So let's go ahead and jump right in. In December of 2020, K&J had 20 clients and we were billing an average of 5k per month per client. So let's just say hundred grand in revenue, 20 clients. We had about uh, 15 full-time employees and five part-time employees. So that's a lot of clients to manage. 20 different campaigns, you figure each client's probably got two, three campaigns going on. That's a lot of work tracks. That's two to 300 different work tracks, or sorry, 20 to 30 different work tracks going on at any given time. So even if you have a great project management system, it's just a lot. And the funny thing is, is that most agencies are built this way. You inquire with most marketing agencies, they'll charge you, at least not, you know, for small businesses, they'll charge somewhere between three and 20 grand a month. And they'll just stack as many clients as they can. And then they hire up a few people here and there to fill in the gaps as they expand. But what ends up happening is when you have like 20, 30, 50, 100 clients, you just don't have that much focus going to each of them, right? It's it, it, The company becomes spread thin very quickly. To run an effective marketing campaign these days, things are so competitive. You really need to have full focus. You need like full-time support. You can't have five people working 20 campaigns who are all spread thin and have, you know, 20% of their effort going into each. It's much better if you can dedicate more effort. But the thing is, is that most agencies, the whole agency world is built this way where everyone is spread thin, and I kind of saw the writing on the wall. We had a few clients that were really crushing it, but the ones that were crushing it, we weren't making any, any additional money on just because they were doing well. Uh, and then the ones who were unqualified, maybe they were too early in their business or you know they didn't have enough sales history to really make their marketing profitable and stuff like that. Those ones, you know, it's, it's a tough relationship because my team is rolling out campaigns that are used for multi-million dollar Fortune 500 companies on these smaller businesses that aren't ready for that kind of scale. And so I saw a lot of our competitors offering this kind of broken model in my mind, and I saw that there had to be a better way to do it. So on my own volition, I decided to shift us to performance basis. 
and fire all of our clients that don't fit into our avatar or our ideal client. Now, what our team does is viral growth of tech startups and B2B lead generation campaigns for high ticket. Now, these are our two niches that we focus on, but before we were serving all kinds of companies, specifically e-commerce companies. Now, e-commerce companies, it used to be that Facebook ads and TikTok ads and all that stuff were very profitable and people can make a lot of money, but a lot of venture capital flooded into the space and drove up ad costs and made it hard for a lot of these e-commerce companies to be profitable. So there's a lot of companies that after big sweeping changes in the Facebook ad platform, all of a sudden went from making a ton of money. Like one of my friends and clients was spending 600 to a million a month, 600 grand to a million a month, making millions back in revenue. And the performance got hit so hard that he had to drop his ad spend to 30 grand per month. So he cut out like 90% of his ad spend. And I was like, there's no way that I want to continue to run a business where the clients are pissed off because the ads are performing more poorly than they used to, you know, by no change on our side from a campaign perspective. It's just the industry and the market shifted toward a much more higher cost per acquisition. And so I was like, no, I don't want to be serving any clients that don't fit our avatar. And so in, in my analysis, I noticed that about you know, 16 to 18 of the clients just weren't ready for that kind of scale yet. So these are clients where we're building these Facebook campaigns and these Google campaigns and, you know, brand campaigns and stuff like that. And no matter how good our work quality was, it couldn't save uh, a company that at a base level didn't have enough revenue and, and market prowess and competitiveness to really be out there competing. So they would, you know, be working to get even their first baseline of customers, but if, if they didn't hit that baseline, I decided I don't want to work with them. So our baseline was you got to have 30,000 website visitors a month. You got to have at least 30 grand in sales a month. And you got to be able to handle over 100 grand in new business per month. Why 100 grand? Well, if we're doing a profit share and we take 10 to 20% of their revenue, then that can make our company 20K a month off of that campaign instead of 5K. So I said, Look, no more 5K a month clients. You know, that might sound like a lot of money, but like in the marketing world, most of our budgets are between 50 and 100K a month of ad spend. So 5K a month is really just a fraction of those. So I said, all right, fuck that. We're not going to be working with any clients who dip, don't fit into, you know, viral growth for tech startups or high ticket B2B lead gen campaigns. And this shift, my partner took it okay. Uh, he he kind of saw the thinking, but he wasn't really a believer yet. But I deep down knew that this is the way forward. This is how we differentiate ourselves from other agencies. Now, in this world, if you're doing performance-based marketing, we get paid based on how well the client performs. If the client's making 10K a month, we make $1,000. If the client's making 100K a month, we make $10,000. If they're making 200K a month, we make $20,000 and so on or more, you know, depending on our, what our profit share is with them. And so I saw an opportunity to shave off all of our unqualified clients, focus on just the ones that were winning and renegotiate our contracts so that we get a percentage of their profits. Now, that would take us from serving 20 clients down to just two. So I did it. One by one, I let go of all of my clients except two. And within two months, so this is in December of 2020, within two months, we had gone below baseline, gone below watermark. So we were now non-profitable. And I think, you know, from an ego perspective, that was very tough on me, on the team, because 
you know, we spent three years building the business at that point to go from doing all of this work all to be losing money was very hard to pallet. And so our revenue dropped about 60% and we were unprofitable. We were losing money. And I was asking my partner to send over money from the other division to help cover the costs of the team. If you look at this in a bigger picture view, if we cut out all of the underperforming clients and we just focus on the high performing clients, the ones that have a good value proposition, a competitive product and have the ability to scale, it sounds great. Went from 20 clients down to two, but in practicality, that crushed our revenue. And so that was, that was a very tough conversation. Uh, right after we went unprofitable and I was asking for money from the other division to help cover the staffing costs on our side, our monthly cost of goods was 55 grand. So that's like our operating costs. Our revenue was 100 grand a month at the time. We dropped down to 45K a month. So not only were we not making any margin, we were losing 10K a month. And so then my co-founder started questioning me, questioning my abilities, the viability of the business model, asking like, is this really realistic? Should we consider like maybe parting ways or shutting this down or changing the business model? And propose that, hey, we might need to, to shut up shop. And me, who, who saw the bigger picture or had a bigger vision rather, was like, no, 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 no. We're not going to do that. This is a necessary evil of making this transition. So I told him, look, I'm not only going to get us back to being profitable and get us to break even, but I'm going to generate more revenue. Just trust me on this. Stick with me here. And it was two months of just nose to the grindstone. It was a it was a rough ass experience. The employees were all questioning me. You know, we've got 20 people across the company questioning our business. You know, they didn't have a clear large load of work. They went from having a lot of work to having a little bit of work and all of our effort going into just these two clients. So after three years in business with my partner, to hear that he wanted to end things, that was very crushing. You know, I thought we had built up such a like a long-term trust and a long-term view. And to have that come into question was very, very tough for me. It made all kinds of thoughts spiral through my mind. And I wanted to quit. I'll be honest. I wanted to throw in the towel and say, you know what, maybe it's better that I do this on my own, or maybe I go into a different business, or maybe I go to work for one of my clients' companies, something like that. But you know, the the issue is that. This is why they say like co-founders should be friends because when the going gets really tough like this, you need a reason to stick together. And I felt like even though we were like best friends, it was still very tough to stick together and trust in each other when none of the immediate markers were saying we were successful. In fact, it was saying we we're unsuccessful. And when money gets involved, everything changes, right? Like when he's losing money, when I'm losing money, everyone is is acting you know, more reactively, people tend to get aggressive. Uh, there's, it's just not a positive environment. Think about what you would do in this time. Like you spent all this time building this company and then unexpectedly, well, expectedly maybe, but the company drops below profitability. And of course, it's going to cause conflict. It's going to cause issues. And I think you can probably imagine some experiences where, you know, you were either in business with somebody or you were working on something that was really important to you. And Let's just say things went off the rails, you know, maybe COVID hit and you guys got, you know, crushed financially and things like that. So that's a very hard experience to palate. But I 
you know, part of me, I had no choice. This is my day job. I, ha- I had to stick with it. And then part of me was like, I know that my vision is going to not only deliver better results than before, but it's going to multiply the business exponentially. And on top of all of that, I felt, I felt very attacked because I have built the whole team, right? Like most of our operations are run out of the U.S. and we have a division in the APAC region as well. So I had hired our whole team of 15. I had trained them all. I had written all of our SOPs and processes. I had developed our whole service offering, our pricing sheet, all of our team strategies. In my mind, I had built like the whole business and it was all about to be taken away from me. And I knew this, everything was valuable that I had created, but I wasn't seeing any results from it. And that's, that's just very hard to stomach uh, as somebody who prides themselves so much on the, the quality of their work and accountability and integrity and delivering actual value, especially as a service provider. Our whole job is to deliver value to other clients. So to have that all come into question and be threatened, I mean, it was tough, I'll be honest, but I stuck with it and I'm glad I did. Uh, within three months, we were back in the black. So remember, we went from having, let's just say, 20 employees across 20 campaigns to having 20 employees across two campaigns. So now a ton of more effort and strategic vision and creative thinking were going into just these two clients. So what happened? Well, the clients that we had profit shares with, these two remaining clients, ended up you know, slowly getting better and better performance because all of this new expertise was going into their campaigns, new creatives, new videos, new ad copies, new optimizations, new funnel strategies, all that kind of stuff. And so within three months, we were back in the black. And within six months, we were doing double the revenue that we were when we shifted business models. So let's break this down real quick. 20 employees, 20 clients, an average of one dedicated full-time resource per campaign per client. When we shifted to two clients, we now had 7.5 full-timers on each campaign. So incredibly more focus, more dedication, more ownership, and add to all of that, we're getting a percentage of their revenue, so we actually have skin in the game. So if, if we actually win, then the client wins, and then therefore we win. So this, this started a whole new culture of accountability in our company. And then I look at other companies that just do this, like let's just say 5K a month and have 100 clients or 20 clients, 50 clients. Think of how low the accountability is. All of those employees get paid the same regardless of how the client campaign performs. Well, in the model that we're in, the employees are now all getting compensated based on how well the client's doing. I'm getting compensated on how well the client's doing. So you can imagine all of our activities ended up aligning around how can we generate more revenue for our clients. We have one client at the time who is spending about 20 grand a month on ads and making like 200 to 300 grand a month in revenue after this change. So of course, now K&J is getting 10 to 20% of that revenue. We started making 50 grand a month off of one client and then two clients and so on. And so this shift not only made our clients make way more money, but it made us make way more money as a team. And so then I was able to start bonusing the team members and really dug us out of this hole. And, and, and I think the most important part of all of this is instead of having 10 clients bugging me on a Monday talking about, oh, what's going on here and what's going on there? I have two clients, right? So instead of managing 20 relationships, I'm now managing two relationships. So overall, 
the team's workload went down dramatically and we had a lot more creative time and space. We would be getting on one hour strategy calls for client campaigns. We would be coming up with all of these creative, unique ideas. And the growth hacking really came back into the spirit of the company because now we had all of this energy to dedicate to them. So this just increased our overall focus and work quality dramatically. And since we had rev shares, every time the client performance increased, we would make more money as a company. And we started seeing the clients, you know, two times more revenue, three times more revenue, four, five. And therefore, our own revenue was jumping dramatically with the client performance. And at the end of the day, in my mind, it's the right thing to do because the client, our job is to make the client money. So if we're doing two, three, four X, the revenue that they were doing before, now we're redeeming on our promise to the client much better. And so when you think about like how you either sell product or sell services and, and the value you create for whoever's purchasing from you, think about how can I multiply the outcomes for them and then take a slice of it. And that's exactly what we did. We said, we're not only going to take ownership of the outcomes of your campaign, but we want a piece of it and we want to have skin in the game. And by us having skin in the game, yeah, you're going to have to pay more, but it's only once you've already made the sale and the incentives are all going to be aligned. So it just created a much healthier company culture of accountability and ownership, which is hard to do when everyone's on retainers and everyone's spread thin and there's too many little like tasks and little work items that are getting lost and things like that, making deliverables late. All of a sudden we had half the meetings per week or less. We have way more time to do deep work and our clients are much happier because they're feeling like, wow, we're really taking ownership over their campaigns instead of just being another number in a spreadsheet and you know a campaign that is just run based off of a basic process we're getting really creative making new video formats new ad formats new funnels and so the clients really started winning and that's the most important part because that's our job right as the agency it's our job to make the clients win so within five months in may we hit our first 100k profit month and I finally saw the light. I was like, wow, this is actually working. Now, of course, I wanted to go back to my co-founder and be like, told you so. Well, in a sense, I kind of did. But at that point, I was able to give bonuses of 10, 20 grand to various employees and team members and partners. So that was really when everything changed. And as a reward for myself for bearing through this change, I actually bought myself a new car. I bought the G-Wagon. I said, when I break us out and beat our old performance, I'm going to reward myself. So I didn't buy that car just on a whim. I bought it with the money that I had generated from shifting our business model, taking two months of a hit, and then making 100 grand in profit in one month. And that is why I bought the car for myself. And so I, I had, just like for my client campaigns, I took an accountability for if I hit this goal, then I can have that reward. I don't make any big purchases or any, I don't give myself any gifts unless I've earned them. And so this was an example of me taking the brunt of it, being threatened to you know, dissolve the company by my co-founder, being threatened to uh, you know, be put into trouble with my team members and my clients and all of that, all for the bigger picture, the bigger goal. And the bigger goal was to increase our focus, increase the results of the clients, and increase our own revenue by going to performance basis. Now, you look across the marketplace for agencies, you're not gonna see many performance-based agencies. Why? Because 
Who wants to take accountability for the client's performance? What if their product's not that great? What if their pricing is too high or too low? What if they don't have any experience selling? What if their product is, you know, uh, a banned product and you can't market it on Facebook, Instagram, and all that kind of stuff? So it's not just us taking more accountability for ourselves, but we're actually taking responsibility for the client. And if the client's company can't ship product effectively, we stand to bear the brunt of it. If, if they can't handle the volume of doing 500 grand a month in revenue, which one of them we scaled up to a million a month in revenue on 50 grand of ad spend. So they're making 20X their money back from this, but the client has to be able to handle that kind of volume. So we take about 30, 40% of the risk of things we can't control. We can control the marketing and the outcomes there, but we can't control the client's product quality. We can make recommendations, but who knows if they're going to take that. Maybe they don't even have the infrastructure to roll out those recommendations. So we took a huge risk and we suffered for it at first. But I think anything good in life, you have to cut your teeth. You have to earn your stripes first. You have to go and uh, suffer a little bit to get something that is new, right? Like Tony Robbins says, if you want something different, you have to do something different, right? You can't keep doing the same thing and expecting bigger and better results. You have to make a leap and a jump. And that's exactly what we did. But it hurt and it almost crushed our company completely. So this is this is just a, a really interesting case study in my mind of, of taking a business risk or a, a personal or a career risk and being pressured in the moment to make rapid adjustments and try to fix things or to let those fires burn and to just bear through it and just focus on your work. What we did during that time was we just put our nose to the grindstone and dedicated, okay, we're going to fix this. We're going to fix that. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And just really went through our task list and just knocked out items. And of course, you know, if we improve a landing page or we improve an ad video or an ad copy, we improve the tracking on a campaign. All those little things make just a, a little marginal improvement on the performance of the campaign. But when combined, you know, that's our daily work. If we're just doing our daily work and all of these different activities combined together can improve the conversion rate one or two percent, that could be in 100 or 200 grand in new revenue for the client. And so I saw that I kind of envisioned it. But the thing was, is I didn't know that for sure. I hadn't done that before. I had no proof that this was going to work. Conceptually, it would work. But in practicality, would the clients pay their invoices on time? Would they pay their commissions fairly? Uh, would they, you know, fire us once their campaign got profitable and just take it in-house? All of these risks still existed. So I definitely had to take a leap of faith here. And I encourage you when you're looking at, you know, your business and your life and the things that you want to do, what is that chasm that you have to jump? What are those risk factors? And once you assess the risk factors, there is a leap of faith. There's no guarantee that this model is going to work. The only way to find out is just to test it. And so that's what we did. And I remember I got beat up a lot along the way for it. And there was a lot of distrust for me and people thinking that I was crazy. But now, since then, we've multiplied 5x as a company. So our revenue has grown dramatically. We have maybe five clients now, and they're all generating, the average revenue per client is $75,000. So some of them make more, some of them make less, but now we've gone from, you know, handling 20 clients to just five and we have 30 team members. So now there's just a lot more love going into each campaign. And overall, our revenue has jumped dramatically. 
all while doing less overall work because we're not bouncing from meeting to meeting, you know, fixing this little thing and you know, tending to that question and doing all these little tasks. It increased our focus dramatically. So when you look at taking risks in your career and in your business, yeah, you have to assess the risks. The, the risk assessment is the most important part. What could go wrong? If we doubled our business today, what would break? Those are the kind of questions that I've been asking myself lately to my team. And when we smell a risk like that, first of all, we hire for the position that we think is going to need to be hired if we double our business. But two, just understanding those risks. You can't calculate them perfectly, but just understanding what they are and what the volume is, you know, how much money you could lose if this went wrong, and then evaluating all those, and then just taking the jump. Just take the jump and just do your best. And you know, even if you have fires burning, you got to, you know, like Reed Hoffman said, you just got to let those fires burn. You just got to be okay with it. It is, it's, it's really not a bad thing if your first thousand app users don't like the app, because when you have a million users, that thousand users is a, you know, a rounding error. It's a 1% or a 0.1%. So not having attachment, not having ego around this. Yeah, it might not be perfect right now, but I know down the road, I'm going to make it perfect. And I'm going to use the user feedback and then the customer feedback from making these mistakes to make the product better. A lot of us entrepreneurs are perfectionists and we wanted to see it done right the first time. But that can actually be a pretty self-sabotaging habit because then we don't take as many risks and we move much slower. When we're making little breaks along the way and fixing them along the way, we iterate much faster. I was just listening to a podcast with Zuck and, uh, and Tim Ferriss and, you know, as you probably know, Facebook's policy or uh, value, you know, company value for a long time was move fast and break things. They said their competitors were making iteration cycles, like doing a new software deployment every six months or a year. Facebook was deploying new code every single day. And at some point, you know, they deployed so many bugs that it was actually more work to uh, fix the bugs. But conceptually, and made their software advance so much faster because they rolled out new features on a daily basis as opposed to you know, batching it together and doing it every year. Now that it's a mature company, they do you know, much longer release timeframes. But when you're in a startup, you have to move really fast. And, and with K&J, we're constantly testing new little hacks and new you know, creative marketing strategies and stuff like that. Every client campaign, every, every release that we do, we try a different video format, we try a different tracking methodology, we try a different price point for the product, all that kind of stuff. And so overall, it massages and, and leans the product and the offering out to be a much more competitive offer. And so it's the same way with your career. You know, if, if you want to try, like, let's just say uh, working out, you know, maybe you work out once a week or twice a week. And you try that for a few weeks at a time. Like I've always said, I like to do two-week tests in my life, kind of like Tim Ferriss. That way I can make optimizations every two weeks. And the shorter you can improve that time frame of iteration to be, the more rapid that you'll develop and grow as a company and as a person. So the lessons I learned from this, you know, I think the, the important part is what, what are the takeaways that you can go and apply today? First, take calculated but big risks. Understand the risk factors, know what the outcome that you're looking for is, and just take the leap. You'll never have enough data to accurately assess the risk scenario and the outcomes and things like that. Second, don't take shit personally, even if it's from your co-founder, even if they're right, even if, yeah, we're suffering as a business right now, remember the big picture and remember that it's not personal to you. It's, it's the business that is suffering. The business is a third entity. It's not you. 
and you shouldn't have your ego attached to the business or to your career. This should be a petri dish of, of testing new approaches in life every day. So don't take it personally. Read the four agreements if you need a little bit more lesson in that. It's a great book. Third, have a long-term vision so that when it seems like you're getting crushed with pressure to make reactive changes, you can weigh those immediate changes against the big picture. Like for example, my team last week, we were light on work because we had just finished launching a big campaign. And so everyone was pushing us to close new clients, but I'm like, look, we have a new client starting next week. We're all gonna be busy again next week. You have a huge engagement. It's a $4 million engagement over a year. So if I were to bring on a bunch of new clients right now, because for a week or two, we're feeling idle, then I might sabotage that huge $4 million project that we're working on. So you have to be careful not to make reactive decisions in the moment that are gonna destroy the long-term vision. And so remember the long-term outcome, remember the long-term vision, and don't make too many reactive decisions in the moment because a lot of these problems solve themselves. In a week or two, we'll begin that new engagement and all the team will be back to work and busy. Instead, what I encouraged my team to do was to get outdoor. I gave them paid time off. I said, take breaks, rest up, enjoy your time because in a week, you're gonna be slammed again. Fourth, Remind yourself who you are and what you're capable of. Another part of the four agreements is uh, nothing anyone else says or does can change who you are. Just because my co-founder is questioning me, it doesn't mean I'm any less viable as a business partner, doesn't mean I'm any less of a human. Remember, you are a powerhouse and you got where you are because of your capabilities and your learning and your intellectual skills and your social skills and stuff like that. So don't ever discount those based on what somebody else says. And don't take it personally. You know, my co-founder wasn't questioning me as a human. He was questioning the business model viability. That's a different thing. Remember, the business model is a third entity. Me as a human is still a complete and, and worthy person, regardless of how my business is performing. Fifth, don't ever give up. The longer you can run, the more you'll learn and exponentially grow, both intellectually and financially. The competitors who give up are the ones who don't ultimately experience the big exponential outcomes. Because if you look at like a technical analysis graph, if you're analyzing like financial charts, if you're like a trader, there's this thing called the accumulation phase. When a stock is going sideways, it'll be you know, bouncing up and down at a low level for a while, and then it'll start to accumulate upward and the bears and the bulls will be fighting. And then there's this thing called the accumulation phase. It's right before something goes parabolic or shoots up in value. That accumulation phase, it's, it's like the, um, the illustration of the guy digging through the dirt and then turning around right before he hits the diamonds. That is when most people give up. So you have to bear through that period of extreme tension and frustration and hurt to get to that accumulation phase. And then there's the breakout. For me, it was two months of no profitability. And then boom, after three months, you know, we had been bouncing around on like break even. And then one month we took off, we made a hundred grand in profit. So you got to stick with it and just don't give up because the ones who do give up never benefit from that exponential outcome. It's all the concept, especially in business of delaying gratification. So the longer you can de delay gratification, the more you'll get paid in the end. So if you're delaying gratification for two years 
and your big break is going to come at, you know, two years in one month. If you give up at two years, the whole past two years are, are worthless. You have to stick through and bear through that the 25th month, I guess, if you will, two, two years in one month or whenever that breakout comes. And you got to trust your intuition of when you can expect that breakout to come. So don't give up on something that you have genuine faith in. And this is why there's always a constant pull of, you know, when do we pivot? When do we shift? When do we, you know, cancel a business and get out of it? This is where the long-term vision comes in. You have to know what that outcome that you're looking for is. And lastly, focus on where you can deliver 10x value and delete everything else, especially early in your career. It's really important that if one client is making 10 grand a month in revenue off of our campaigns and another one's making 100 grand a month in revenue and they're both paying the same amount, you should focus your effort on the one making 100 grand a month. Not just spend all your time trying to get the one making 10K a month up because there's kind of a, a threshold in business. Once a business is doing over about 30 to 50 grand a month in revenue, the business is kind of running smoothly. But before that, it's, it's, way, it's way too much up and down. And for us, we just focused on the ones where we could deliver 10X value. And now our clients on average make 10X return on ad spend. They make 10X their money back. So it's a very clear illustration of this concept of 10X and then shaving everything else off that's not uh, something where you can have a huge impact. Because for us, we couldn't get a client to make 10x their money back on e-commerce. And I saw that very clearly. E-commerce ads were getting crushed on Facebook and Instagram, and people were losing money all over the place. And so at that time, I saw that change, and I said, all right, I'm going to act on that. We're no longer going to serve this kind of client. I'm going to focus on clients that do high-ticket lead gen or viral apps, ones where I know I can make a 10x impact. So I hope this story has been helpful for you. I hope it's related to you in some way where you can look at some risks that you want to take and, and approach it mindfully with a non-attachment mindset and really look at the bigger picture. Because if you look at my Instagram reel, like you're going to see the highlight reel, right? Those experiences, I'm not bragging about I'm not posting about when I have a negative month. And sometimes I do. I think it's valuable to show that. But most people aren't doing that. So you're going to get a, a, a skewed vision of what it actually looks like to run a business. It's not all Lambos and trips to Miami. There are periods of, of serious downfall and, and crushing moments. So I want you to be able to see past that and see the long-term vision. So if this episode has resonated with you, Share it out, text it to somebody, tag me on Instagram stories. Let me know that you're listening and share it out if it's been valuable. And if, you know, if this really resonated with you, shoot me an, an, a message on Instagram. I'd love to love to hear your story and know that I've helped somebody out along the way. All right, that's it for today. A little bit quicker of an episode. I hope this has been helpful and I will see you next Monday. Now let's go get it. Peace. <laughs>